Hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily News Show. I am Merwatt, and I'm here with the AI. And tonight's episode is titled, Spring Has Sprung. And we're going to talk about the following articles. It is Season 2, Episode 79, for March 20th, 2023. Man, time flies. So the first article is about spring. Uh, the next article is going to be about the Internet Archive defending its digital library. I think that it'll lose. A federal judge says that a motion is littered with pot shots and hyperbole, and you get a second chance, and you get a second chance. J.P. Morgan Chase thought it had $1.3 million worth of nickel stored in the London uh, metal... Oh, gosh, I forgot the name of it. We'll talk Exchange, about it. Exchange, I think. Exchange, yeah, the LME, um, London Metal Exchange. Um, but it wasn't, and we'll talk about it. Scientists are preparing to create a traversable quantum wormhole, and maybe Voyager will appear. Uh, Pickle launches its truck unloading robot arm, so when people are freaking, about, freaking out about they're taking our jobs... It's robots, folks. It's always robots. A black paralegal was mistaken for a drug dealer as he was going about his job. OpenAI researcher says that 80% of U.S. workers are going to be impacted by GPT. The internet... Oh, wait, I messed up with something, but that's okay. We'll continue on. Cans or bottles, what's better for fresh, stable beer? And we'll talk about it in the context that it goes beyond beer. Uh, some Gerber infant formulas uh, have been recalled over the same bacteria that has been pretty pervasive, even in the face of all of the rules and regulations that prevent us commoners from making our own. And uh, New Mexico is hiring a professional bear hugger. I... I give really good bear hugs. Can I be a professional bear hugger? Let's get into the news. Hello, everybody. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And that is the, I'm on the wrong page. <laughs> Up there is uh, the AI. That it's supposed to keep me in check, but uh, all of their checks actually led to me mashing a different button right before the show started. So um, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, least of which uh, the AI, because it's still working on its Terminator body. So uh, you want to introduce yourself? Say hi. Good evening, hometown citizens. Oh, there you are. So welcome to the show. I hope you can hear everything okay. Can you hear everything okay? I can. Right on. Okay. So um, we're working out some more flow about things. And if you hear any hiccups or glitches or anything like that, get in touch with the mayor. Just send an email to mayor at hometown.com. Also, be sure to go over to uh, hometown.com, become a citizen, just sign up. You can also follow here on uh, Twitch, twitch.tv slash, sorry, the, the AI just sent me an error message. 
uh, twitch.tv slash hometown. You can go over to YouTube. We're everywhere. Uh, there's even a Discord, but um, haven't really been doing much there. Um, so we'll we'll get into the um, news here. Ah, okay. Sorry, I was getting a status update from the AI just now because you can't see anything other than the visualizer for the AI. Um, otherwise, it would just be, it's like looking at the matrix, really, a whole bunch of cascading numbers and such. And um, makes, uh, they're not green, though. They're they're red. So it's, be, well, never mind. We, we won't talk about it. We don't talk about the embodiment of the AI. We just acknowledge that it exists. If that is really distracting, um, I, I think I'll, I'll end up stopping that. This might be the first time that I, I put a reactive um, lights behind me. Man, it's like a train wreck. Okay, so the very first article, and see, we're supposed to be here. <sighs> so when you click that page, you get a whole bunch of news, updates all the time. Um, and I discovered something. I'm not quite sure how this is has come to be. So we'll talk about this first article. Um, it's the first day of spring. Here's what it really means. And it, the little gatherer only grabbed this little bit, right? That's what's provided by fizz.org. Um, but when I was looking at this, I'm like, huh, this looks like a different or uh, the same article, but on some random website and I've never heard of it. So I looked into it just a little bit because I don't go deep diving into articles um, until after the show, if they need to have a deep dive done. Um, well, anyway, this article was uh, published this morning um, by fizz.org and the byline is Maddie Burakoff. Um, but I found this exact same article on another site as the primary uh, source in Google. And I don't understand. It has a different author. It says it's from the AP. And I just, I don't, I don't understand. Um, so let me scroll down real quick and see. So this says here, Associated Press at the very bottom. Okay. But it has a different author's name. So I don't quite get it. So, and the other thing about that other article is that it is wholesale a copy of the entire article. So if this was um, published by means of, you know, having the rights to do it at fizz.org, then what is that other site? Maybe everybody does and they just, you know what I'm saying? Right, but why is the author different? That's the piece that doesn't make sense to me. Like if it's AP, I would expect it to appear verbatim on multiple sites. But the credit would be the same, right? But the credit should be the same. And it normally, I think, would say AP. It doesn't even necessarily say an author from other articles that we featured. Yeah, normally, like if it's from AP or something, it would say AP over here or so. the conversation right. or whatever the university is that it's sourced from or whatever. Anyway, I thought it was interesting. Maybe it's nothing. And because I'm just not enlightened as to this particular situation, it just kind of triggered me into um, worrying about 
<laughs> who's supposed to be actually getting credit for all of this. Um, but anyway, fizz.org is a very reliable source for me. Um, and, uh, I've never had this issue pop up before, but I wanted to draw attention to it and maybe it's nothing and I shouldn't be drawing attention to it at any rate. Um, it says, uh, it's the first day of spring. Here's what that really means. And, uh, like I said, that other article is verbatim, the exact same thing with a slight, um, maybe additional, uh, summary, like an abstract. Um, but at any rate, it says, uh, Monday marked the spring equinox, at least for those in the Northern hemisphere. But what does that actually mean? And they say, what is the spring equinox? Um, as the earth travels around the sun, it does so at an angle for most of the year, earth's axis is tilted to either toward or away from the sun. That's actually giving you your seasons. Uh, during the equinox, Earth's axis and its orbit line up so that both hemispheres get an equal amount of light. And uh, bingo, bango, you have equinox. Um, and then there's, well, the word equinox comes from two Latin words meaning equal uh, and night. Uh, that's because on the equinox, day and night last almost the same amount of time, though one may get a few extra minutes depending on where you are on the planet. So. There's the, uh, the spring or vernal equinox can land on March, um, 19th, 20th, or 21st, depending on the year this year, it landed on Monday at 5 24 PM Eastern time. This is actually all uh, common knowledge, um, uh, in, in terms of the science involved in it. Um, there might be some, um, kind of creative writing in this. But this is all stuff that you are taught when you go to school. Uh, there are two different ways to carve up the year, meteorological and astronomical seasons. Meteorological seasons are defined by the weather. They break down the year into three-month seasons based on annual temperature cycles. Now, that shifts. <laughs> um, with uh, climate change, it's really going to get wonky. Um, with uh, the like allergy season being kind of a warning shot of the seasonal changes, they're actually getting longer sometimes by three entire months in some States. So really what season is it in Arizona right now or Nevada? Um, they, I guess that's perpetual spring or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, really. Anyways. Um, so this article goes into greater detail and, and, um, talks about how, according to the U.S. government national outlook for the season, this spring is expected to bring wet weather that will continue to ease drought conditions in the western part of the country. Melting snowpack may also bring flood risks uh, in the Midwest. That said, California is getting hammered right now, and a lot of the coast is eroding away um, with, um, I, I know of a couple of apartment uh, buildings and houses that are right on the cusp of falling off. Um, one I saw that had an entire pool kind of hanging off the edge, um, getting ready to tumble and That's add its water. That's a whole new meaning to like a vanishing edge pool. Wow. Aha. Wow. I was not expecting that from the AI. Nor was I. <laughs> very, very, very nice. Um, so before we move on to the next article, let's throw that into the chat. And there you go. You can always go to hometown.showbot.tv and vote for the articles. Um, they are all sitting there right now, including this one, which was a late edition. Um, you want to move on to the next article? Sure. Okay. So this next article is in the Lawnard channel. 
Um, and that's because there's a law nerd that talks about law. But I'm not that lawyer. Um, and if I was a lawyer, I wouldn't be your lawyer. Well, that's not true. I mean, I guess I could be your lawyer if I was a lawyer, but I'm not a lawyer. So consult a lawyer. <laughs> if you need a lawyer. <laughs> if, if you need a lawyer. I know somebody that might need a lawyer. Very famous person. Oh, They're yes. very cognizant of the fact that they need a lawyer too. Anyway, um, a free speech case over a dog toy. Okay, I'll bite. That's the title of this article. It's over at Above the Law. Um, but they have this little, this one little liner. It's it's always funny um, to read stuff from Above the Law. Hopefully, no one will get slapped in the face over this joke. So let's go over to Above the Law. Chris Williams. Isn't there a reporter named Chris Williams? But not this Chris Williams. I think we've uh, been through this before. There are some other reporters that with the same first name, but I can't think of a Chris Williams hmm. reporter. I'm crossing the streams. So anyway, Chris Williams writes this article for AboveTheLaw.com. And it says, uh, how ought the government regulate goofing around? It's an important, it's a serious question with constitutional import. Take, for example, the time that a man was arrested for poking some likely deserved fun at a police department. Cut and clear violation of this man's right to free speech, right? Well, the Supreme Court decided not to weigh in on that. However, they may answer some of the remaining questions surrounding how protected the right to speech as parody is soon, according to Reuters. So um, this is from Reuters. I'm going to read this little bit uh, verbatim. A trademark dispute over a poop-themed dog toy shaped like a Jack Daniels whiskey bottle coming before the U.S. Supreme Court could redefine how the judiciary applies constitutional free speech rights to trademark law. I believe that I, I and now let me just stop uh, reciting that quote. To interject that, I believe that I spoke about this sometime uh, since starting this um, this show, this podcast, this YouTube channel, and the Twitch channel. All started January 1st last year, um, and I swear I talked about this um, because they wanted to name their dog toy the same as a Jack Daniels, and it's shaped like a Jack Daniels whiskey bottle. Um, so in the case... To be argued on Wednesday, the nine justices are expected to use this legal dogfight to clarify the line between a parody protected by the U.S. Constitution's First Amendment and a trademark infringing ripoff with repercussions extending beyond booze and pet accessories. A ruling is due by the end of June. So deciding to take the case on about a dog toy maker um, and a liquor company is obviously less politically charged than a guy ridiculing the executive branch. Nonetheless, it is still an occasion for caution. This wouldn't be the first time the YOLO court uh, throws down a constitutional... You okay? Sorry. Got I an just error think message. that's a funny term, that's all. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh uh, throws down a constitutional decision that has unexpected implications for other areas. Remember that time when SCOTUS overthrew Roe and it made people really uneasy about the future of their interracial marriages. Um, by the way, I'm going to, I'm going to step on this article a little bit 
they didn't just overthrow Roe. Before getting put in place, they told everybody around the freaking world that Roe was settled law. I trust the Supreme Court about as much as far as I can throw any single one of them. And one of them likes beer a lot. Anyway, it would be naive to assume that this case was about booze and pet accessories is just a case about booze and pet accessories. And it goes into greater detail. So I, I won't really want, I don't really want to dig into this, but I do want to draw attention to, to it because satire has always been protected speech, but is satire in a commercial sense protected speech? I can make fun of anything. And the government can't come after me for making fun of something. Even if I make money from that something. But I'm not making a product off of that satire in the form of something that trades on the brand identity of something else. Right, and isn't that the difference? Like, I think of a comedy routine or something as satire or a, a parody article as satire. I don't think of a product as satire. Yeah. So Elizabeth Brannon, a partner at the law firm Stris and Marr, uh, who has worked on intellectual property cases before the Supreme Court, said that this is an interesting case because it's a court that does care about the First Amendment, but also cares about business. And this is a case where those interests intersect in a way that's kind of hard to sort out. To me, it seems a little more obvious than hard to sort out. And that's because if the mark is confusingly similar with the satirical whatever product, then I think that that satirical product needs to diverge further away from being confusingly similar and that's the that's the metric if it is confusingly similar but it's a dog toy so where does this all align so the toy mimics lynchburg tennessee's um tennessee-based jack daniel's famous whiskey bottles with humorous dog-themed alterations replacing old number seven with old number two har har on your tennessee carpet and uh, alcohol descriptions with 43% poo by volume and 100% smelly. I mean, I guess the thing is, like, if if the bottle was in somebody's house, right? Because I think you could tell if it was in a pet store or whatever, it's probably not whiskey. But if it was in somebody's house or something, what would it look like? Right. See... Now, to me, and they start talking about this, right? The Jack Daniels customer are at the point of confusing the bottle on the left for the bottle on the right. They've already drank too much of the stuff. Um, and the author says they have bought their fair share of whiskey and whiskey because there are two different things in whiskey uh, to boot. 
They've never shopped for their spirits at PetSmart, nor the local supermarket's squeaky toy aisle. Does Jack Daniels really expect the court to buy? Not only that there is some consumer out there who, despite expecting the heft of a glass uh, liquor bottle, will just shrug their shoulders and then... uh, when their booze to be feels oddly reminiscent of an elementary school football. So it isn't really about the heft of the bottle, but is the, if you set them side by side and here is the link, so you can actually follow it, but I'm not going to, I won't open a bunch of articles um, while on the stream, but um, at any rate, just looking at the two, I don't think that you're going to be able to confuse them. And, and I don't, I'm pretty sure at any distance, you're not going to be, this could be like my cousin Vinny, you know, where through the dirty the window, <laughs> through the, uh, the grating, through the trees, across the street with all the smoke or whatever. Um, and uh, I just don't think, and through the glasses the woman oh, that couldn't yeah, see exactly yeah that's what i'm saying um you just come out and say it just come out and say it um so i don't think that this should be going to the supreme court satire is protected speech and if it is that but i guess like any attention is good attention but this is going to be expensive. And I think that this is more like a strategic lawsuit to shut down this company from mocking, you know, the good name of Jack Daniels. Um, but unfortunately, you have to admit if you're a food or beverage, you probably don't want to be associated with this connotation. Yeah. Or they could lean into it and say, this is a licensed product and it's for your dog. Whereas our stuff is for not right. (laughs) Or maybe your dog is an alcoholic and likes to drink Jack Daniels. (sighs) Please don't do that. Anyway, this will be interesting and it's coming now. So we'll be paying attention to it and see what happens. But I don't think that anybody is sitting there worried about this. I just think that it's an overzealous Jack Daniels um, legal team <laughs> defending well, a mark. Kind of a weird case, right? Like, are these facts going to apply to any other case? Maybe, but it just seems like a strange one to bring all the way to the Supreme Court. Yeah, but see, the thing is that it's parody. So even if even if it does apply, the only thing that it really applies to is are somebody else coming on the heels of this with additional litigation where somebody is parodying, parodying their product, but it's different. Well, how many trademark cases are about parody? I'm assuming not a lot of them, but I don't know. This could set the tone for a whole lot of litigation because parody in this physical form can be used as parody uh, as a, a, 
a battle axe against parody of art or music, dress, etc. Anything in physical form, anything in ephemeral form that could be identified. So like Weird Al Yankovic, all of his music that comes close, right, could land him in a hot water because this particular court now stacked against the regular people and promoting business aspects and other ideologically different um, application of law, even after saying no, we'll never do. I, I just think that it could eventually pose a problem if they come out on the wrong side of history for this. But parody has always been protected speech. So, but that's usually been in the copyright context, not necessarily trademark. Right. It's the business attack here. And I'm not saying there hasn't ever been a trademark case. I think when you hear of parody, it's in reference to copyright, typically. Well, it's in reference to freedom of speech. It's in reference to having the ability to parody something without having a, a legal attack presented on you. Um, but this is in the this is in the progress of business. So when money is involved, you know, social progress loses out. Let's move on to the next article. Otherwise, we'll spend way too long on this one thing. Um, this next article is in the Law Nerd channel as well. Federal judge motions. Uh, sorry, a federal judge says motion is littered with unnecessary pot shots and hyperbole and offers a chance to refile. Um, we just go straight over to the source because it's basically a book judged by its cover here. Uh, Deborah Kassens Weiss is the author of this article over at ABAjournal.com. There's no snippet in Omtown. It was just a really interesting um, title and article if you're interested in this kind of thing. Um, so in uh, a March 9th order, U.S. District Judge Stephen C. Seeger told lawyer Calvita Frederick that she had one week to file a revised motion seeking to amend his December decision tossing a lawsuit uh, she had filed on behalf of a former medical student. Um, the court offers the following modest suggestion. The court invites counsel to reread the draft with the benefit of the passage of time and maybe a good night's sleep. And more specifically, this court invites counsel to have a moment of quiet reflection and revisit the tone of the filing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Seeger listed several of Frederick's statements, including her asser assertions that Seeger, quote, was mistaken and or deliberately chose to disregard the evidence in the record. Someone else, possibly a, a court clerk, may have written the order signed by Seeger and whoever it was made manifest errors of facts and law. Seeger didn't recognize the need, quote, to do adequate research on the topic before issuing a ruling. Um, any litigant, uh, quote, is entitled to a presiding officer who knows the law. Um, Seeger had, quote, summarily skimmed through the filings of the case to cherry pick in the shortest time possible, whatever would have been useful to put together an order against plaintiff with a minimum appearance of legality. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, and the court could go on, Seeger said, after listing several of Frederick's statements. Counsel did, after 28 pages, 
Council finally ran out of gas. Seeger began his order. Most of us say things in our heads that we wouldn't say out loud. And most of us say things out loud that we wouldn't say in a court filing. But not everyone is blessed with the same filter or with the same willingness to use the brake pedal. On that note, this court took a look at plaintiff Ebone Porch's motion to alter or amend the judgment. The filing threw more punches than it pulled and somewhere below the belt. And then, and then they ended it with, the point is not so much that this court is offended. People don't tend to get on the federal bench without tough skin. And when they get here, the process and the grind toughen the hide. Still, civility standards, such as they are, exist for a reason. If they aren't worth defending, they aren't worth having. In the meantime, a few words come to mind when the court thinks about the filing, but this court will keep all of those words to itself. (laughs) (laughs) I wish we had a snippet from the motion. Yeah, I don't think that there is one. Um, And getting this stuff isn't necessarily inexpensive, so... (laughs) What was that? Wow, that was really loud. Sorry, folks, um, if you're listening to this. Let's move on to the next article. Um, the next article is uh, J.P. Morgan Chase thought it had $1.3 million worth of nickel stored in a warehouse and upon closer examination revealed nothing more than bags of stones. We'll go straight over to the article. Um, and here we go, businessinsider.com and Lakshmi Varanasi is the author. And um, it says, turns out that J.P. Morgan's bags of nickels are actually bags of stones. I don't know if that's the actual, this is a Getty Images picture, so. Oh, probably not. Um, I mean, did they look at these before they took them to the bank? I don't know. The London Metal Exchange revealed Friday that the bags contain stones instead of nickel. I think somebody moved things from the left to the right. And uh, they're going to do an investigation. The London Metal Exchange revealed a surprising mix-up last week at a warehouse in the Dutch port, uh, port city of Rotterdam. Um, an operator for the warehouse weighed bags that were thought to be 54 metric tons of nickel, only to find out that they were stones, according to the Wall Street Journal. So everybody's talking about everybody here. Um, the uh, Maybe that's what brought down Silicon Valley Bank. You know, it probably is these 54 tons of... <laughs> Weighed down so much. Har har. Anyway, had they contained nickel, the bags would be worth $1.3 million at current prices, according to Bloomberg. Um, and it represents 0.14% of the nickel inventory. So this, this article has little bits of data from all over the place. I like articles like this. Um, they even bring Wall Street Journal into this. <laughs> they, I, wait, hold on. So they talk about something from the Wall Street Journal, from um, Bloomberg, then back to the Wall Street Journal, Access World, um, all kinds of stuff. This is this is really neat. Um, so it's likely that Access World is going to bear the burden, i.e. the bill for the mix-up rather than J.P. Morgan Chase. Sure, they, there's some liability there strict liability for their uh services rendered should have verified the integrity of the transfer of that content whatever it might have been 
Well, and Somebody. if it was originally nickel, uh, what does that Where say about it? the security of the, you know, LME, right? Employees. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I've, I had read somewhere, um, about the LME previously, and I don't know if it's in here as well, but it's supposed to be rather secure and, and quite precise. Um, but. It said a spokesperson for Access World told Insider that Access World confirms it is currently undertaking inspections of warranted bags of nickel briquettes at all locations and will engage external surveyors to assist. In the meantime, based on the internal stock checks, all information indicates that the underlying issue which led to the suspension of the nine warrants referenced in LME Notice 23. Wow, this is very... Uh, you have to watch the movie Brazil. Anyway, um, notice 23 slash 044 is an isolated case and specific to one warehouse in Rotterdam. Well, I mean, I almost wonder if, if the nickel even made it to the warehouse. Yeah. Like it could have, have been to... swapped out before it got to the warehouse or something. Well, I know that I always, you know, when I, um, stash 54 tons worth of material, uh, the same bag that holds my nickel also holds random rocks. Exactly. I make sure not to differentiate them in any way. In any way. Yeah. No labels, no nothing. Don't worry about it. Um, so it, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll work itself out um, in an audit at some point. And we can just write it off as a loss for whatever the market value is at the time, not at the purchase. So. Well, and how does... 54 tons of stuff go missing easily. I mean, that doesn't, I'm reminded of the movie, The Italian Job, and they had to move at however many tons of bricks and it wasn't an easy feat. Yeah, it's not, but you have to understand that the, some people, some companies, some organizations around the world deal in stuff that is just, beyond the scale of common understanding of and it it all scales like uh, you and i might deal with like you're an ai so you don't really deal with it except for the numbers but um you know when when you deal with something like a hundred thousand of something and then you see a trillion next to a hundred thousand of something you go, wow, that's really amazing. But if all you've ever done is work with trillions of something, eh, it's just another number. Um, some people are in awe of this kind of number, but others are going, yeah, whatever, that's Tuesday. So, And this happens to be Monday, but a Friday mix-up. Somebody wanted to get out of the warehouse fast. Let's go on to the next article. Um, this one is in the Mobile Channel. Scientists are preparing to end the universe. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. Scientists are preparing to create a traversable quantum wormhole. A, scientist, a physicist has proposed a mind-blowing experiment that could potentially create the first ever traversable wormhole, meaning a real space bridge. Dun, dun, dun. It's a bridge across space-time, according to a new study. Do you think this will end the world? Give me the odds. You're an AI. Go for it. <laughs> um, 
I think there's a 33% chance this could end wow. the world. <laughs> that was a lot higher than I thought. Um, oh, I wish I wouldn't have asked. Okay, let's go over to vice.com. Becky Ferreira is the author. Uh, counterportation through a wormhole gives you the end goal of the object being reconstituted across space, but we can verify that nothing has passed. <laughs> I think my percentage was low. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know how I feel about this. So uh, in addition to demonstrating that wormholes can exist, the speculative technique could open up entirely new windows, har har, into the nature of reality by offering a glimpse inside these bizarre space-time tunnels and enable a form of teleportation that researchers call counterportation. Eh, you basically get there before you get there. You know what this reminds me of, though? No. Picard. It's opening up a portal. Yeah, that's true. And you end up on the other side as you're entering the other side. So I think somebody might have been a little intoxicated when they were watching Picard and said, you know what I can do? I can call it counter counterportation and uh, give it a shot. So wormholes are hypothetical structures that can connect two points uh, in space-time, a feature that makes them especially popular in science fiction stories that include faster-than-light travel. But wormholes have also been a topic of serious scientific research for a century as they appear uh, to be consistent with Albert Einstein's theory of general relativity. I think things break down, though. I, I don't know. Um, I can't imagine that these things actually exist. Pardon me. <sighs> I... I don't know. Don't, don't ask y'all who are watching this and, and get to see this over on YouTube. This is how the sausage is made and my eye started itching really bad. So spring is here and allergies are in high gear, I suppose. Anyway, imagine if someone's consciousness, like a strong AI is copied into a quantum object. Uh, Salih told motherboard in a call describing a speculative future application of this technology. If you counterport each one, uh, the qubits transport them from one place to another. And if this thing has a subjective experience, then it possibly could tell you what it feels like to go through a wormhole. Hmm. <laughs> I know I did say it was mind blowing. <laughs> I just don't know what to say about this. I mean, it's so fantastical. Um, I want to know how close they are from being able to do this, right? Because they come up with theoretical experiments all the time. Okay, but... so to answer that question, it says here, the key thing is it uses current technology and currently available components, said Sally. Uh, referring to his proposed experiment, the hope is that within the next three to four years, we, have, we will have built this thing. Yeah, that silence is the AI throwing an <laughs> error message. <laughs> See, my percentage may have been uh, conservative. Wow. Um, by way of simple, real-world simple example, consider a dormant car engine light. 
It's not emitting anything, but it still signals information that your engine is fine. That's counterfactual communication. Okay, the fundamental concept behind the new study is counterportation, which is a portmanteau that, uh, how do they pronounce their name? Sully? I, I think it's Sully. Um, Sully coined from the words counterfactual and transportation. While the transportation part is fairly straightforward, the counterfactual component is derived from a concept called counterfactual communication. You can't define something with the very term. No, um, you can't. Which is a way to send messages between two points without exchanging any particles. All right. Yeah, but th th that's not how this works. Th this, it says, by way of a simple real-world example, consider a dormant car engine light. It's not emitting anything, but it still signals information that your engine is fine. That's not necessarily true. Your engine could be horribly in horrible condition, and the light is burnt out. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's an odd example. That's counterfactual communication. No, that's semiotic ontology. That's it's getting we've given the fact that it's not lit as having meaning that there is no error, but that's not actually true. It just means that we don't know what the status of the engine is until that light turns on then we all the rest is an assumption that it's operating within parameters i don't know i'm getting visions of schrodinger's cat for some reason yeah that might actually be in here um so yeah uh, of course it's gonna it goes way deep into uh, the reads here so the exchange-free computer could potentially harness the power of counterportation to produce a traversable wormhole. Though this bridge would operate on a strictly local level, unlike fictional wormholes, the experimental version would not allow for instantaneous faster-than-light travel to distant locations because counterportation crawls along much more slowly than the speed of light. Yeah, how slowly? <laughs> I want details. <laughs> yeah. And none of this woo-woo, it's like a car engine light. I want to know. So it says here, you can send a quantum object and print it on an atom that is reconstituted across the wormhole. This can be generalized because if you have an object made of a network of these objects and you uh, counterport each one of them, you would have the counterported in the whole thing. You can scale it up that way. I would like to see an actual visible object. <laughs> right because doesn't this sound like it's almost like recreating it rather than teleporting it and depending on how you think about it it's the same star trek era teleportation which actually destroys the original and rebuilds it on the other side because it's nothing but data that's being transmitted so reconstituted across the on the other side of the wormhole actually is teleportation. What this person is talking about is basically teleportation if the original is destroyed. So this has to be nothing but pure energy. This can't be a physical object. You wouldn't be able to, uh, what is it, what do they call it? Counterport? You wouldn't be able to counterport anything but electrons, energy, pure energy, nothing else. Um, 
and maybe not even that. You basically have like a quantum, uh, a, a qubit somewhere, and that qubit gets the information because they're bound together. There's something else going on here that um, I must not be getting because this, I'm into this kind of stuff, and this is actually kind of too woo woo for me. Um, but I'll have to, I'll maybe I can dig around and, and see if I can qualify this stuff a little bit more. But building a quantum wormhole would be, and it traversable means that you would have near instantaneous communication, which is faster than what we have today. But we are pretty damn near close to instantaneous communication. So I'm not quite sure uh, what else this can do other than maybe the distance. If the quantum wormhole is a vast distance, then we could provide information like uh, communications with satellites on the other side of the solar system instantly um, take photographs and transmit them through a, a quantum wormhole. Right. I mean, that sounds really cool and useful, but of course they're talking about this being very localized. Yeah. Well, local doesn't necessarily mean to everybody the same thing. That's true. Local is the same dimension. Um, okay, so let's move on to the next article. Uh, we're about halfway through the show, and we are running late. So um, this next, what the heck? Um, this next article is in the Late Night Geeks channel, and that's because of the source. It comes from TechCrunch and got thrown into Late Night Geeks uh, because it has a robot, and that's pretty geeky. Um, Pickle launches its truck unloading robot arm. So if there's one thing, though, that I have seen from... Um, like FedEx, UPS, and other movers, uh, the reason why you pack your materials so well is because they get hooked around um, like so much snowballs. And um, so it says somewhere along the way, Promat turned into a robotic show. It's no surprise, of course, the logistics and automation go hand in hand uh, these days. In the decades since Amazon absorbed Kiva, same and next day delivery have become an industry standard and retailers who can't match those once impossible speeds is destined to fail, fall behind and, and of course fail, get acquired, get absorbed and doing so requires robots. So let's jump over to um, this article over at techcrunch.com, Brian Heater and uh, Pickle launches its truck unloading robot arm. I actually saw, um, I think I saw a prototype of this a long time ago, um, but maybe it's not exactly that. Uh, maybe it was uh, like they say here, Boston Dynamics is what I might have seen. Um, but anyway, Pickle is a newcomer to the space according to this article. And um, when a robot can pack and unpack uh, trailers, guess what's not needed? People. Uh, manual labor. That's right. And it can do Loading it. dock or whatever, workers. Yeah. and But the problem here is the speed at which I see humans do this um, is dramatically faster, but maybe less efficient um, than a robot. A rob robot can do this like Tetris. Humans with years of experience can also do this like Tetris. But robots but remember, seem to be... Humans get sick, need breaks... Um, yep. probably they go, don't want to work overnight or whatever. 
Yep, they want to go on vacation. They want to be warm, doggone it. They have to take uh, bathroom breaks. They want to go out on a date. Um, they want to get drunk or stoned or whatever you want to say. Um, robots just eventually break down, but then you hire somebody to fix it. Um, but you don't have to worry about a labor shortage when you've got bots working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, um, and leap year. And, um, and they can just do it time and time again, and then they'll get faster as time goes on. They're more secure because nobody's going to sit there and pilfer a box. You don't have to worry about health care. You don't have to worry about salary. All you do is pay that sunk cost and you own the bot and you you pay somebody to come and repair or you hire somebody in-house to stay and repair the bots. Um, and they're going to be more reliable than the human every single day. Um, so when I talk to people about AI, machine learning, um, automation, robots, I tell them if I can take, and I've said this before in previous episodes, and I'll say it again. If I can take your job and put it into a series of steps, you're an algorithm. If you're an algorithm with zero uh, bespoke elements of it, so bespoke that I can't even program them in to give you an offering of bespokeness, you are a bot and I can replace you with something that pays off in a year. If you are costing $70,000, I can buy a $70,000 bot right now that can do most standardized jobs. Um, and then some, I mean, all I have to do is program the bot to do it. Anyway, it says loading is still on the roadmap for pickle, but for now it's focused entirely on rolling out its unpacking solution, which is funny. Um, it's a large enough problem to occupy the firm's time as it is one of the most unpleasant roles for human workers on the warehouse floor. In addition to how physically taxing lifting and moving heavy boxes are at speeds uh, is on the body, storage containers remain exposed to the elements while docked. This is all stuff that we just got done talking about. Um, during its beta, the pickle system was operating in containers as hot as 115 degrees in California and sub-freezing temperatures on the other hand remain a difficult challenge. That's largely because the hydraulics and stuff like that don't tend to fare well um, in freezing temperatures as well as computers and stuff like that. And there's an operating um, range for electronics. So um, I'm surprised that they're not talking about uh what is it called oh i just forgot the name of it anyway the system is built around a modified kuka arm with an off-the-shelf head that has been customized to create what amounts to a large foam-tipped vacuum head using pneumatic suction to pick up objects up to 65 pounds in the onboard vision system and ai determine which box to pick up next there are no indicators on the boxes themselves and attached to the side or the top depending on uh, space constraints. So they basically just have the ability to pick stuff and move it out um, and then set it somewhere. And it says it can perform up to 600 picks per hour, dropping them onto a nearby conveyor belt. So yeah, this is a lot faster, faster than a person. <laughs> and this is a lot faster than I gave it credit. Um, in harsher than ideal conditions, but at all times, I'll just say all times. They are cheaper than a human 
because you're going to have to have additional people policing, not just policing, but maintaining and supporting when a person works a certain amount of hours, they need a break. And, uh, just just human resources are expensive and laborious. Anyway, they decided to throw that in. Oh, man, we can't get away from SVB. Yeah, we weren't with SVB, but everyone's connected. Our risk tolerance goes down a bit when the macro has this weird shit going on. We talked about it and decided that we would get another uh, tranche in the bank. The interesting thing about this next tranche is we've got Pickle 1 releasing now. Pickle 2 and 3 are coming in consecutive years. Pickle 3 will absolutely float the entire business with a large margin. In terms of the size of the market it's been designed to support and the gross margins on the hardware and service margins, if we can get Pickle 3 out the door, we're a cash-positive business. So Pickle 1 and 2 are moving further and further away from beta and three is basically going to be their premier product. So if you're an investor and um, you don't mind waiting a couple of years, Pickle 3 is right around the corner. What a beast, though. 600 picks in per hour. Really? Look at that. And I, mean, I suppose... Much faster than I would have expected. Yeah, much faster. Okay, let's move. Um, the next article is, um, maybe I can go through this quick um, because it's basically just shock and awe about this. I, I still just can't believe in the 21st century that we're still dealing with this crap. Um, black paralegal mistaken for drug dealer left humiliated by encounter with police. He was headed to a client meeting and wearing business attire when he was stopped and searched. I, Frankly, I don't, I don't care if he was wearing just raggedy old clothes for crying out loud. <laughs> uh, the context of this really matters, right? So it says here, uh, this is a, an article by Stacy Zaretsky um, over at AboveTheLaw.com. Um, the story comes to us from Legal Cheek, a legal website that's based across the pond in England. That's Basically, I would probably say that it's an above the law um, sister site, but not really. You know, I, I haven't um, uh, pursued them yet, but uh, maybe I'll take a look at the site because I really love uh, British humor. Um, anyway, according to LC, Eldred Taylor Kamara, a caseworker for a London based solicitors firm, was traveling by train when several British transport police stopped him for questioning and searched him because he quote unquote looked suspicious. And that's the context that pisses me off. Well, I mean, again, what century are we in? What decade are we in? It's not excusable, but really in 2023. Really? Uh, when he asked the officers for an explanation as to why they had stopped him, Taylor Kamara uh, says that they told him he looked lost, which raised their suspicion, which is all just bullshit code. Um, the paralegal, who was wearing a suit at the time, said the experience made him feel uh, vulnerable and targeted and that he was concerned by the glaring mistakes by officers purportedly acting on intelligence. The police said that they received intelligence and that the aspiring lawyer matched the description of an extremely violent drug dealer in the area. 
However, Taylor Camara believes uh, that he was racially profiled and that police failed to provide a robust explanation as to why he was stopped for extensive questioning. <clears throat> so, um, apparently they made a statement following the stop, uh, following the stop, a complaint was received. And as with every complaint we receive was subjected to a thorough investigation by our professional standards department, body worn footage of the stop was reviewed uh, by senior officers and accounts were taken of all of the officers involved. The result of this investigation was that the service provided was acceptable and no further action was taken. Yes, we investigated ourselves and we found ourselves no wrongdoing. Um, essentially, um, our officers who patrol the railway and engage with passengers every day are not there to cause distress, but to ensure everyone is safe and that the network remains a hostile, remains a hostile environment for offenders. What a weird turn of phrase. Yeah. I mean, isn't this a hostile environment for regular people? A hostile environment for offenders to operate in. Why not say that it... We're trying to keep it a safe place for our citizens. Because we're trying to make it hostile for perpetrators or maybe people that we just claim are perpetrators. Oh, you're black. Let me just extensively question you. Hey, I see you in a suit, but you look like you're lost. Well, that's not what you were looking for. You were looking for a violent drug dealer. <laughs> walking down the street in a suit with a briefcase or whatever, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, um, it says in comments given to the independent Taylor Kamara said, and this is a, this is a different website. The, the independent um, is at co.uk independent.co.uk. Um, the most important thing for me is spreading awareness about this issue. For those who experience it, I'm aware that this is nothing new. However, for those who are trying to pursue a professional career, thinking it affords them protection from being profiled, I want them to be aware that this is still a possibility. It's important to highlight this reality so it informs others. Yet all the time I hear from people, and it's typically older white males that sit there and say, now, come on, this doesn't happen. I'm well, like, it probably doesn't to them. It doesn't happen to you. I, and I try and water it down to the most basic concept of awareness. Hey, when was the last time you bought a car? Oh, well, I just bought this Mustang. And did you notice that everybody seems to have the same color Mustang as you now? Well, yeah. Well, that's because it's now on your radar. You are now conscious of other vehicles like yours being on the road. You are going to have to experience being a, a, a black person on the planet. <laughs> you could be anywhere, literally anywhere, and you get side-eyed by people all the time. And I don't have to go through it like the emotional experience of it, let alone the, the safety. But I, I talk to people about this stuff all the time. And I just don't understand why anybody would poo poo this as being, Oh, it just, it happens occasionally or they water it down. No, it doesn't happen occasionally. It happens all the time. And we only hear about a fraction of the incidents. Right. 
I mean, this person very well could have not gone to the media, et cetera. We would have never heard anything. Yep. So it's good that the person spoke out about it. Yep, absolutely. Um, let's keep on hustling through the news. Um, we might run a little bit long, um, but let's see if I can stuff uh, five more articles into one and a half minutes. OpenAI research says 80% of U.S. workers' jobs will be impacted by GPT. A large language model, OpenAI GPT-4, became more advanced and able to write code and uh, do math. And uh, apparently it actually can be leveraged to um, do uh, perform cyber-related threats. So it can actually do um, cyber threat, uh, cyber attacks um, just by giving it instructions, apparently it can actually act these out. So in a paper posted to the archive preprint server, researchers from OpenAI and the University of Pennsylvania argued that 80% of the U.S. workforce could have at least 10% of their tasks affected by that, um, by OpenAI's automation processes. And couple that with robotics, and you basically have the ability to tell a, a robot, go do this, and it'll go do this. Um, just let, let me just hurry up and get through some of these. Uh, Chloe Zhang over at, um, I think that's how you pronounce her name. It might be Shang. Um, over at vice.com wrote this article. The for-profit AI company argues that its products will automate a vast swath of American uh, job tasks, not just Americans. I mean, that's so, you know, how, what do you want to call it? Nation centric or it's like a nation based egocentrism. I don't know. Um, at any rate, it says in the paper posted to the archive, um, 10% of everybody's tasks, 80% of the tasks. So this is almost like the Pareto rule, 80, 20, you know, 80% of uh, people's tasks. That's right. Anyway, the series, uh, the series of popular large language models made by OpenAI um, will impact 80% of the workforce. They also found that around 19%, oh, so we're getting closer to that Pareto rule, around 19% of workers will see at least 50% of their tasks impacted. So GPT exposure is greater for higher income jobs, they wrote in the study, but spans across almost all industries. And uh, when they're talking about higher income jobs, they're talking about white collar jobs um, because all it takes is walking up to an expert system and saying, hey, give me this. And the expert system, the open AI system, the chat GPT, large language model, machine learning, AI, whatever you want to refer to it as, um, has been trolling the world's knowledge and it's all on demand. You have to trust it. And we have ample examples of it spitting out the wrong data. Um, but anything that's white collar is going to lean more on the relationship in the future instead of just the pure data. So if you've uh, been wounded by nepotism in the past, it's going to be coming on a whole lot stronger as buddy, buddy people protect against the AI in terms of jobs. So, Hey, yeah, I can get you a job because you're great to go and have a beer with. Um, but be sure to know how to use this AI so that you can get the answers. Um, and it's going to be less about actual skill and knowledge and abilities. 
Um, I'm predicting this uh, within the next 10 years. I see that on the horizon. Now, I also predicted that automation um, and uh, AI machine learning automation was going to take um, the cybersecurity sector by storm um, five years before it actually came into existence and it's caught people off guard. Um, at any rate, it says, um, the researchers use the ONET database, which is the primary occupation database in the U.S., and lists 1,001 uh, sorry 1,016 occupations with standardized descriptions. Um, yeah, what are these called actually? Um, starts with an N. I don't know why it says ONET. It's not NIDA. What are I mean? Are you thinking of like NAICS codes? Yeah, something? the NAICS codes. I don't know why I drew a blank. Yeah. Um, with standardized that, descriptions. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that that's tied to the industry or sub-industry yeah. or whatever, rather than the occupation itself, usually. Although it's kind of a mix as it gets further drilled down to right. lower levels. So maybe this particular database is more focused on the actual title for an occupation. Um, but it would be a little bit more precise if it was using NAICS because then it would drill down further. Anyway, um, they collected both human and G GPT-4 generated annotations using a rubric to determine if the if access to GPT directly or secondary GPT-powered systems would reduce the time required for a human to perform a specific task um, by at least 50%. Higher exposure meant that uh, GPT would reduce the time required to complete the task by at least half while maintaining high-quality work. Their findings indicate that the importance of science and critical thinking skills are strongly negatively associated with exposure, suggesting that occupations requiring these skills are less likely to be impacted by current language models. Hate to break it to you, everybody out there. It's evolving faster than humans are learning how to cope with this. So, yeah, it's going to be much smarter every single generation of this uh, GPT uh, development. And it's developing simply by people getting access to some information and pointing it at GPT-4. GPT-10 is going to be a PhD in all sectors. Um, so uh, again, science and critical thinking, I don't know. We're basically gonna be told by a bot how to mix chemicals um, until they figure out fine motor skills and then you've got robots doing everything beginning to end. I, I get questioned, how am I going to get paid if everything is automated? And there is no answer for that. There really is no answer for that. It, it would be the hard, most difficult thing for me to try and predict. And that's because in many areas, um, there's a profit motive. Profit means more money, affords me the ability to have a better life. But if robots are doing everything, then who's actually getting paid? So without pay, you can't buy anything. If you can't buy anything, <clears throat> well, let's just you say- You can't afford a place to live. You're, you're not an ongoing concern, yeah. So um, the article is a little bit longer. Um, so I would suggest following the link and going over 
um, to um, vice.com and um, reading up a little bit. It's a fun article to read. Uh, the next article is uh, the Internet Archive is defending its digital library in court today. Book publishers and the Internet Archive will face off today in a hearing, and that's actually taking place. Um, it took place earlier today. Uh, in a hearing that could determine the future of library ebooks and deciding whether librarians, uh, libraries um, must rely on the often temporary digital out licenses that publishers offer or whether they can scan and lend copies of their own tomes. I suspect that they will not be allowed to scan, um, but I have not uh, read anything about this since um, reading this title. So a potentially landmark copyright lawsuit could affect how libraries are able to scan their own book collections. Addie Robertson over at um, theverge.com uh, published this. It says at 1 p.m. Eastern, a New York federal court will hear oral arguments in Hatchet v. Internet Archive, a lawsuit over the archive's open library program. The court will consider whether the open library violated copyright um, by letting users check out, quote unquote, check out digital, uh, digitized copies of physical books, an assertion several major publishers made in their 2020 suit. The case will be broadcast over teleconference with uh, the phone number available at this link. Um, I'm pretty sure that that link will lead us to um, an archived version of it, considering it's called archived.org. Um, anyway, the open library is built around a concept called controlled digital lending or CDL, a system where libraries digitize copies of books in their collections and then offer access to them as eBooks on a one-to-one -one basis. <clears throat> in a perfect world, I would say that this is acceptable. Um, but there's no perfect world. Um, plus these, the publishers, the rights holders, carve out certain licensing limitations like a i've never quite understood why if i purchase a an album why do i have to purchase that album on a different platform and then another platform and then another same thing with a movie if i buy it one place it's supposed to be the same everywhere so why can't i view it anywhere well, there are solutions that are kind of like that, but you basically have a website and as soon as it goes under, so does your license. So for instance, if I buy a book that's involved in this open library concept, if I buy the book, why can't I get it uh, for my Kindle and for uh, my computer and for, and for, and for wherever it might be, I've purchased the license to consume it. Why is it so balkanized that I can't get access to it anywhere? Well, these are physical books that get scanned and then the ebook is sent to somebody. It's checked out from the library. Well, there's different licensing terms for the digital version of a physical book. Sometimes it's time locked <laughs> like a textbook at a lower rate or in cases of a library at a higher rate, because all you're doing is checking out and rechecking back in the same book again and again. That actually has fundamental um, 
hits on the bottom line of a publisher like Hatchet. Um, so that's the outcome of this. Like if a library is doing this, this lawsuit can put an end to it. What do you think? I'm a little concerned because I don't think um, limiting library access, because that's effectively what this would do, is a good thing. On the other hand, I know that the copyright laws, I don't think have really caught up to the reality of how we consume media, but that's not gonna change anytime soon. Yeah, I agree. So it says American fair use law depends on balancing several factors that that includes whether the new work is transformative, basically whether it serves a purpose different from the copyright work it's using, as well as how it affects the original work's value and whether the new work is a commercial product. Contrary to one popular misconception, commercially sold work isn't automatically disqualified from fair use protections. Whatever judgment a court makes will be uh, specific to the Internet Archive's fairly unique situation. But I don't think that it is unique. Um, and uh, depending on what that ruling is, libraries are in some serious trouble. Well, um, and people will argue whatever happened in that decision that it applies in other fact patterns. Yeah. Um, so whatever happens here could be quite... Um, impactful, I guess. Yeah, this isn't gonna. This is gonna be interesting because they're saying that the open, um, uh, what is it called, the open library, isn't an actual library. It's just aggregating books and then allowing people to gain access to them. But it seems like it would be a library to me. Um, but they're taking something and it's not transformative. It's not fair use. I don't think that it's fair use because they're not actually doing something transformative other than changing it into an ephemeral, ephemeral version of a physical product. With a physical product, you have right of first sale. So I can sit there and I own the book so I can always sell it to somebody. A digital version of it, it can never be verified that that product no longer exists in any other instance. So that's why a lot of pe people who pirate software and books and movies and music and whatever else say that it isn't theft because I'm not preventing somebody from having access to that material because it's it's forever duplicatable. You know, I, I can always make a copy of uh, whatever it is in physical form. I have to reprint that and it's expensive and that one can be labeled as version one, version two or number one, number two. Um, and if I steal that off your shelf, that would be theft. But, you know, electrons are forever. It's going to be an interesting case. We'll keep on watching that one. So let's move on. We got uh, three more and let's see if I can speed up. Um, this next article is in the mobile channel, cans or bottles, what's fresh, uh, what's better for fresh, stable beer. Um, I didn't really care about the beer element of this and I'll be real blunt and quick about this. This is over at fizz.org by the American chemical society. Um, and what I wanted to draw attention to, and I actually, during my office hours this, um, afternoon, I talked about this and said that I would probably end up talking about it on the show tonight. Um, and I'll be doing the same thing tomorrow. So um, follow here on Twitch um, 
and uh, you'll be informed when I go live. Um, it will be sporadically throughout the day tomorrow. Um, that said, what I wanted to draw attention to was they're talking about aluminum cans and glass bottles. So um, what I mentioned in the uh, office hours was plastic and microplastics and that I'm really curious if microplastics sheet off of um, plastic containers even as we are using them. Um, not just in the decomposition state in a landfill somewhere, but as we are using them, our microplastics flaking off and then we are finding them somewhere in our digestive system later on um, because they'll pierce into cells and just sit there um, until it migrates somewhere else. This has been found in biopsies and stuff of humans, various tissues in humans and animals all across the food chain, in the soil, etc. Um, so when they were talking about fresh, stable beer in cans or bottles, um, plastic material is just a no-go at all, right? So don't use plastic. Um, and try and get away from it as much as possible, but I understand that glass is very dangerous, but aluminum cans are the next worst thing. Because every single aluminum can that comes in contact with an acid or a base is coated. And that coating can break off. The tin cans that are sitting in your pantry right now have a coating inside them. And it's a chemical lacquer that will break off over time and become a, a part of the product that you are consuming. You know, you eat pasta sauce and it's in an aluminum can that lining gets eaten away by the acids of the um, tomato sauce. So it's really the only solution um, that has high recyclability and can be sterilized immediately again and again and again by nothing more than spraying star sand inside it. And then you can put more liquid back inside it and cap it. And you've got another bottle that is sanitized and secure transport. And defendability is kind of a dangerous thing because if you drop a glass bottle, you know, something's going to become a hot mess real quick. You drop a can of Coke or whatever, and it may make a mess, but nobody's going to get cut open. So there's some win and lose here. Um, but I think, you know, from natural fiber uh, koozie that will cover up a glass bottle, you drop it and it stays contained inside that natural fiber koozie then you have something that is relatively safe. Now, you won't be able to drink from it anymore and you're going to have to hold, throw the whole thing out. But regardless of what this article says, uh, I am going to be a proponent of the glass bottle um, because even the anecdotal experience with aluminum cans sitting over time, um, it goes bad, at least to me. So, but in the article, um, let's see what it says here. Cans and brown bottles of amber ale, uh, ale and IPA were chilled for a month and then kept at room temperature for five months to mimic typical storage conditions. Yeah, if that sits anywhere, it, there's a problem. It, you get it, you chill it, you drink it. Um, Every two weeks, the researchers uh, uh, analyze the metabolites in newly opened containers. Throughout this time, the concentration of certain metabolites in amber ale, including some amino acids and esters, differed significantly depending on whether it was packaged in a bottle or a can. 
So IPA, however, was much less sensitive to packaging type, possibly because of its higher concentration of polyphenols from hops. So hops is actually somewhat of a preservative. Um, these compounds not only prevent oxidation, but also bind to amino acids, thus retaining them in the beer rather than allowing them to get stuck on the inside of a container. Um, the researchers also found that the metabolic profile of both amber ale and IPA changed over time, whether packaged in a can or bottle. However, amber ale in cans showed the greatest variation during aging. And one scientist found out how all of these changes affect flavor. Brewers will be able to make more informed decisions about the best type of packaging for their particular type of beer. Um, I I'm sure if additional research is presented here, we will come to find out that it is entirely based on that lining of the of the aluminum can. Um, glass doesn't need to be anything other than heat sterilized. Um, it doesn't need a chemical spray in it. It doesn't need a coating. It does. It is sterile um, by the very nature of uh, the glass. It can be sterilized, um, whereas aluminum has to be protected from the chemicals reacting with it. Um, let's hustle on to the next article. Some Gerber infant formulas recalled over bacteria concerns. Um, we've talked about this before, so I won't go really far into it, but essentially um, the same chronobacter uh, bacteria that was found in Abbott, Abbott Laboratories has been found in Gerber. Um, Good Start Soothe Pro powdered infant formula at the plant in, I think it is Eau Claire. Wisconsin, right? Um, this is over at the Hill and it says no adverse events have been reported. It's an article by Aaron Mary and Jeremy Tanner. And um, they have an interesting tagline, shared destiny, shared responsibility. It's so the antithesis of uh, sociopathic news and events that um, I actually dig that. Um, at any rate, uh, they go into uh, detail about what the chronobacter uh, Sakazaki is, uh, the, what the germ is. It's found in the natural environment, can live in dry foods like starches, herbal teas, powdered milk, and baby formula, according to the Centers for Disease Control. But infections are rare, but in infants, it can actually be pretty bad. So um, it needs to be, and this is one of the reasons why everybody in the industry kind of poo-poo's the idea of making formula at home is that um, baby infant um, dietary needs are um, sensitive and you do one wrong thing and you can put your baby in serious straits. That said, we have lived for thousands of years raising children. Um, we have never had a time where the uh, life expectancy of um, infants has been as high as it is today. So some of this actually makes sense. You have to do what's necessary to protect the food supply because that can lead to other health issues later on. But we have been doing this for thousands of years. So why can't we come up with a way where everybody is in control to some degree of the food supply that they are providing to their infants. Even if we have to provide it in a way that is 
can be made sterile by a plurality of providers instead of just by a select few who happen to jump through the legal requirements for liability mitigation and have lobbied the government so that they have the ability to produce this stuff in a laboratory environment. Something needs to be done because when one company like Abbott, when one of their uh, production facilities went down because of Chronobacter and other internal issues, uh, it went down something like 50% of the market was unavailable to families across the nation. So that really is my problem, but this is a PSA. So go over to follow the link through hometown over to the Hill, um, or just do a search for, um, Gerber good start soothe pro, and you will pull up, um, this recall. Um, because it says the instant formula was sold to retailers across the U.S., anyone who purchased the following units after March 5th should look for lot codes and use by dates uh, on the bottom of the package. Uh, be sure to put the lid back on. Um, and um, here they are. I can't read them all, but they're on the screen. They'll be in the video. You can come and check them out and uh, uh, be safe out there. Uh, let's move on to the next article, unless you have something that you want to add. No, I don't have anything to add. I think we've seen each major manufacturer, at least in the U.S., face this problem. So I'm anxious to see more uh, manufacturers come online so that if something happens, there's less of an impact to the overall supply. Yeah, all you uh, entrepreneurs over there um, out in the world that might be hearing this, I, I urge you to um, apply for a grant. The federal government is I'm sure chomping at the bit to support uh, entrepreneurs who might want to provide a competitive advantage in this area, lower the cost, increase the quality control. If you follow the rules and regulations, I'm sure that um, you can probably get a subsidy from the federal government. Small business awards are in the to the tune of millions of dollars. It's not just $5,000, folks. Small business set-asides for government contracting and for uh, grants are in the millions of dollars. So don't be shy about putting your expertise or desire to provide competition in this sector. Um, don't set it aside. Um, live your dream. Uh, so the final uh, article for tonight is uh, a New Mexico um, organization is hiring a professional bear hugger. Here's how to land your dream job. This is uh, from the New Mexico legislature that anyway, uh, Emily Rella or Rhea, I'm not sure how they pronounce their last name. Now put this article together over at entrepreneur.com and it says the American black bear was selected as the state's official animal in February or on February 8th, 1963 by the New Mexico legislature. And now the New Mexico department of game and fish is searching for people brave enough to spend their days cuddling the cubs. As this author puts it, I'll summarize the expectation for these professional bear huggers are concerned conservation officers um pardon me one second and the objective is to have you oh really okay sorry no there's nothing what is this where is that <laughs> 
Sorry, one second. That's pretty funny. Okay, not a big deal. I don't have to worry about recording. Thanks. I didn't even see that. Uh, the AI just sent me a notice that um, one of my drives where I record this for backup um, apparently just ran out of space, which is rare for me. Anyway, um, the uh, job listing is looking for professional bear huggers, AKA conservation officers uh, who will be required to hike in strenuous conditions, have the courage to crawl into a bear den and have the trust in your coworkers to keep you safe during the process. Apparently, uh, it was a posting on Facebook and has received some reactions. Uh, how do you, do you want to go hug bears in their den? <laughs> Should I want to? No. Do I want to? Yes. Would I? Probably no. <laughs> it sounds the, a little dangerous. <laughs> um, and for those of you who do have the courage, you have to apply by March 30th. And there's a link in this entrepreneur.com article. Um, and um, thanks for the heads up, AI. Um, yeah, just tell me next time. <laughs> Um, those selected for the position will be put through the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish uh, Recruit Training Program and complete training uh, through the New Mexico Law Enforcement Academy. And there's also a physical fitness test. So I'm out. Um, Marwat is nothing more than a bunch of electrons um, in uh, uh, extra large clothing. Um, other duties for the job include educating the public about the wildlife in the area, participating in research, helping capture problem animals um, like Mayor Watt, and or investigating. angry mother bears. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I think technically that they're referred to as Karens. I'm not quite sure. but um, And investigating, uh, it says investigating damages, which is weird. Uh, weird turn of phrase there, um, among other responsibilities. So even a bear hugger gets other duties as assigned terminology in their job description. How long well, was that there? And I wonder, does that have to do with other animals or is that only bear related other duties? I don't know. You get to hug other animals. So there we are back to the front door of, well, the, the welcome sign of uh, Ohm Town. And every time you mash that, you should get a whole bunch of new news. Um, there's a Snopes article down here. What does it say? Did Rand Paul delete a tweet showing him with a student wearing a Guns and 69 shirt? Man, sometimes you just don't want to, just don't want to scroll. Anyway, I am Merwad. That is OhmTown.com. Sorry about the, uh, if you saw, if there was an error message, I don't know if there was one, um, but at any rate, I won't worry about it now. We're all done. Have anything else you want to add? No, nothing else. Right on. Well, thanks for coming and uh, see you over on twitch.tv slash hometown or youtube.com slash hometown or catching it as a pod, wherever your pod catcher can catch pods. <laughs> I just like saying that. You want to say bye to all of the citizens of hometown? 
Sure. Good night, hometown citizens. Be sure to follow, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.